You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Thanks be to God. Or, this is the word of God. Uh, good morning to everyone. It's, it's good to be here. It's a privilege to have this opportunity to, to be together and to uh, actually to meet Jer and Jody. First time crossing paths with them. And Harv and Darlene, uh, we have known them over the years, and it's good to be together with them this morning. We'll get a few minutes to catch up a little bit later on, uh, but it's it's good, and of course, it's a it's always a privilege to to preach the Word of God. And so this morning, I trust you've come with an expectant heart. In this sense, you're not looking as to how the preacher is going to do. Um, we're trusting God to be here. And we're looking for the Holy Spirit, and as we've prayed before the service, even now, the Spirit of God is here. And if you listen for him, you will hear him. It'll be beyond what I'm saying. It'll include the Word of God. And it may even be prompted by the things that I've said as God has been leading and guiding me into this time. So may you come, and may you, are you ready to hear him and, and get something exciting? Well, actually... My prayer and belief is that it'll touch you in such a way that you'll go out of here with something more than when you came in. And that's where we're going to go with this. So it's beautiful to come out here. I don't, my wife and I were just talking, I don't think we've together been in this area uh, ever. So, and I, I grew up in the lower mainland, so it's been neat. I'm, we're going to have to just drive around some of the roads to sort of see what's all here. But uh, it's beautiful with the sun that's out there. It's almost like an early summer for a couple of weeks. But then again, we live in the lower mainland, and we know that rain's going to show up sooner or later, and that'll change everything again. Uh, if you're like Luella and I, my wife Luella is here, um, we have just been thinking of planning for the summer now that we're inspired by this good weather. And uh, it's, uh, it's like, okay, do it now, hurry, because opportunities which might fill up, and probably in some cases it's already too late. So we get driven to get hurry to get relaxed, okay? Um, in the midst of it, you know of our daughter, Alyssa. We have four kids in total, and so we understand what it is to have a busy life, uh, busy work life, busy home life, raising kids, or should I say chasing kids with all the things that they get going in their lives. There's so many options out there. Uh, responsibilities in doing life can be overwhelming uh, with just the things that you have to get accomplished in any given week. There's other things that challenge us as well. Um, we live in an area, and this is an interesting challenge. There's a lot of stuff around to see and to do, and lots of stuff to enjoy. Um, but in the midst of all of that, we can get so busy enjoying and doing life that we, we forget a little bit about who God is and the things that he's called us to. There's another challenge that faces us right now. We live in a world that's changing significantly. 
morality, we have no idea where it's going to end up. It's already gone in horrendous different directions. The church today, even its theology, is being challenged and questioned. And we are tempted to turn from what we once believed. Scripture talks about, you know, continue on in what you once had, what you once believed. And the challenge is to stay the course. And then ultimately there's the ongoing battle that we have with sin and temptation, the spiritual battle. Uh, There's times when we are strong, but if you're like all of us, we falter and there's times when we fail. Sin nature is something that will stay with us till we die or until Jesus returns. And all of it can push our lives in so many different directions. So with all these things coming at us, they all take a toll on us, leaving us sometimes unsettled, unsure of a lot of different things. And one of the things that can sometimes happen in our lives is we can be even unsettled with where we stand with God. Because when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Uh, or the whole thing is that the enemy of our soul does not want us to feel confident in our faith in Jesus Christ. So he's always creating doubt. He's throwing discouragement. He's wanting us to not go to the Word of God and to try to do things on our own. And any times we we sometimes blow it, then we fear, oh man, was that big enough that just wrecks everything else with it. So my, my hope and prayer is that we will take this morning as we come into the Word of God to review and maybe do some resets on where it is, where we're at. Some things that we, we might just think we're fine, but maybe there's some things that God, by His Spirit, wants to point into our world. I don't know you folks, and, and, and therefore this is really going to be a God move. If, if something touches you, you can't say, well, Greg was following me all last week, so that's why he was preaching to me this morning. I don't know who you are and what goes with it. So if it comes, it's by the Spirit's prompting. The passage we have today is an interesting one. It's a very challenging one. Uh, it'd be greater to talk about things like love and joy and peace in Jesus Christ and the blessings of God. Uh, yet there's a message here that if you look at it deeper, we actually see it is a continuation of that message because we'll understand more of God's love for us and the things that he wants us to win in the life that we live. At the same time, we'll find out maybe how we can f- realize full joy and peace in our world, even in the midst of all the things that are changing and unsettling us. You know, what it does do is it phases with the topic and one of the phrases in it, it talks, it calls the, the sin unto death. Did you hear that as it went by? The sin unto death. What is that? That's what we want to look at. It, I think it relates to what is talked about in Matthew about the unpardonable sin. So what is it? Can a Christian do it? Um, have I done it? Am I in fear of that? Or how would I even avoid doing it? Those are things I hope that we will look through the Word of God and bring answers to you. But really it brings us focused to that whole issue of, as we look at the passage in its context uh, about the whole issue of sin. Sin is something that we have to deal with in our lives. And when you realize that as we come to 1 John, we are coming close to the end of the Bible. Just about the last thing remaining is the book of Revelation, which talks all about Jesus' return and the setting up of the eternal kingdom of heaven and all that's there. And so there's a sense in which this topic of sin is being summarized. And what you have is in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, you have the whole thing showing where, where man tries to be good and keep the law. And really what you find out is through the Old Testament shows you can try to keep all law, you can try to be a good and perfect person, but we fail. It doesn't work. So that's why then comes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, in which Jesus says, here's the way. It's not trying to just be good. It's actually dealing with our sin. You see, the good is not going to keep you out of heaven, 
But the undealt with sin in your life, that's what's going to keep you out of heaven. And so with that, he says, I want you to see how I will provide victory. So he goes to the cross. He teaches that. He comes to the resurrection. He shows, I've got power over sin and death and all that's involved with it. I've proved it with my life and with my teaching. And then from the Gospels on up to the book of Revelation, he teaches how to live our Christian life and realize how we can win over this thing called sin. So now we have this context, which now talks about this sin unto death as to what it is. Well, there's not a lot said right in the passage that we read, so we have to look outside of that to the rest of the Bible and use the Bible as the commentary for itself. So what we come to is, is the, uh, and even there's the context of the book of 1 John, as I read through that in preparing, there's so much in the earlier part of this book that prepares us to really get an understanding of God's picture of this sin challenge. Chapter 1, and just to review some of these things, I'm sure you've covered this, but chapter 1 talks about how the Father wants fellowship. He wants to do life with us. It's not like just me, myself, on my own. He says, I'll do it with you. I'll be right there. He's writing these things so we do not sin, so we do not get caught up with loving the world more than loving Him. He says, I want you to, what you've heard from the start, I don't want you to fade away. And that's a real risk in our time. He gives perspective. It says, hey, one day Jesus is coming back. And that may not be that far away. So we need to be prepared by a, a good grasp of our, our walk with God and that this sin thing is not taking us down and pulling us aside. He says with the hope that we see him when he appears that we will be like him. So it says, so we purify ourselves. We work on that instead of practicing sin because no one who abides in sin or who abides in God keeps on sinning. So with that, we see that basically there's so much in 1 John that sort of talks about this whole thing of, of dealing with the sin that's around us. But we're called to believe totally what he has said and what he has for us. So the challenge comes to us in what we read in 1 John 16, 5, 16 to 18. So I've got a few points that I'd like us to take from this passage. And the first one is this. God wants us to win over sin. The Bible has a whole message of victory over sin. In verse 16, it talks about when you see a brother in sin, you need to pray for them that they may come back. The reality is you can see when people around us, whether it's our husband or our wife, our children, our parents, uh, maybe good friends, and we can see at times when they, they, they mess up and they get it wrong. And with that, we need to, uh, to pray for one another. The reality is there, it happens. And see, but what God is saying is his desire is not judgment for our sin. His desire is restoration from our sin. And the, the caution to us is that we cannot get self-righteous when we see somebody else saying, oh, they did that. Did you know that they did that? No, the Bible, Jesus taught us, says, the person without sin, let him cast the first stone. And those who are wise left in those moments realizing that they could not cast that for stone because they knew they had their own sin that they still had to deal with. But there is hope for reconciliation and forgiveness with repentance. Repentance is that sense of sorrow, confession of our sin, and changing our life actions. And out of that, God is merciful and gracious and brings us back. So we may pray for others who are in need, but we need to all realize that we need to pray for ourselves as well. Because we face that battle with sin, and God wants us to win. The second point I'd like to bring forward is that we can be forgiven from many sins, great and small. 
I like verse 17. It says a very clear little statement. says, all wrongdoing is sin. Okay? Um, if you ever wanted a definition, I think that's God's very brief one. Okay? If you're doing something wrong, it's sin. Okay? So now we need to make sure that we take care of those things in our lives. But I don't mean to talk glibly about it. But are we serious with sin? Sometimes we will justify our sin. Sometimes we will say, well, it's really not that big of a deal. And you know who wants us to think that? The devil himself. He wants to belittle it so we don't deal with it because he knows if we leave sin within our lives, it ties us up in a way that we can't fully be all who God wants us to be or do all those things that God wants us to do. But what we find is throughout the Bible, God shows that he can forgive all sin, all kinds of sin, even the big ones. Think of it this way. The thief on the cross. Thief by stealing. Potentially a, probably a murderer at the same time and a lot of other wrong things going on in his life. And what does Jesus say to him as he reaches out to him in those last moments? He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So even the worst of sins can be forgiven. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus meets up with her and they're ready to stone her to death and Jesus looks to her and says, I don't condemn you, but he says, go and sin no more. So there, there may be sin that he is, he is gentle with this woman and he sees her repentant heart. With that, he does say, you've got to still change your life. You can't just keep on going in this. Another great example in the, when it comes to the unpardonable sin that I think is really good to look at is the life of the prodigal son. Here we have a case of a season or a period of time of ongoing sin. Sometimes you may have some children, some sons, daughters who, who get caught up in something and you're concerned for their very soul. Well, the reality is that this is an illustration of the fact there is an opportunity for them to come back to God. That lifestyle that he lived, the prodigal, was not a, a sin unto death. But notice this. He was very deliberate in his walking away. He chose to walk away from the Father. And he was gone for a good amount of time. How long? It doesn't say but put it this way, if you received a very large inheritance and you decide to go live your own life, how long would that last? Now, in our time, maybe a very short period of time. But back then, maybe that went for quite a while. Weeks, months, a good portion of a year. I'm not sure how long it would have been. But in that time, there was probably many different sins that he would have gotten involved with. His lifestyle would have changed. He'd been far away from the Father. This is the illustration, of course, the parable brings, that they're out there. They're away from God. And he loses it all. But even still, when that prodigal comes to his senses, he's able to return, repent, and, and turn from his sin. And the Father welcomes him home, and there's a restoration of the relationship. You see, these are the sins that God can forgive. They are not the sin unto death. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we have to deal with unrighteousness. The things which are, it's, it's either righteous or it's unrighteous. It's not this great big gray zone that it doesn't matter in between. We are either following God or we're not. So to encourage you, I'm not sure what's happened in your life. But if you ever thought, man, I, I really blew it big time, way back there. I'm not sure God can forgive that one. It can be very big and God can still forgive. But there is one sin that is pointed out. And that's the third point. There is one sin that leads to death. So this is the challenging part of this. But it's a huge warning. And so with that, we look to the word of God. Because God's 
not trying to condemn us with. He's trying to warn us, say, please, don't go down that road. It'll cost you too much. It's not a physical death that comes because of crime and judgment or disease. Because basically it's appointed to man wants to die. So death is going to come. What it's talking about is the eternal death or the eternal separation from God. And when you are eternally separated from God after this life, there's only one other location the Bible says you end up, and that's in a place called hell. And no one wants anyone there. God does not want anyone there. And there's that one sin, though, that seems like there's no forgiveness for it. In fact, it sort of says you can't even sort of like pray for them in this regard. Matthew 12, 31 to 32 calls it the unpardonable sin, which talks about it's, it's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. I think it's where we start turning against the great message that God wants to speak to us through the Spirit as he's calling to us. He's con- trying to convict us of, this, of our sin, to change our lives, to bring us to where we need to follow him. But I think it also goes a little bit deeper. Um, there's people who have known the truth and then have turned and rejected that. There's a fellow, it's, I know he's a long time ago, his name's Charles Templeton. I'm not sure if you know who he is or was. Um, let me explain this. He was just a great evangelist. I was going to say he's like Billy Graham, but some of you may not know who Billy Graham is as well. But nevertheless, uh, a great evangelist that was probably in North America was, was well known. But he denounced his faith. He denounced God. He denounced Jesus. He denounced the Bible and became totally atheistic. How do you pray for that person? I believe he's one of those who maybe made that step where he turned and his back totally on God. To understand this a little bit more, the challenge of it, there's a couple of passages in the New Testament that um, as I read them, they they say some fairly bold things, but I'd like us to take a look at them as well. I think they're going to come up on your screen there as well. It's Hebrews chapter 6, 4 to 6, if that's there. It's coming, it's not coming. I don't know. There we are. Okay. It says, here's, let's read it together. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, holding him up to contempt. Powerful passage. Do you hear the things that are stated there? This is what challenges me about where a person might even be. He says, they were once enlightened. In other words, they understood to be, this is not just understanding you know, why the sky is blue and so on. This is, they are enlightened to the understanding of the spiritual things of God. It says they've tasted the heavenly gift. That means they have, what is the heavenly gift? It's our redemption in Jesus Christ. It says they have shared in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not just something they know about, but it's something they have shared within. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. In other words, they've seen it. It's blessed their lives, and it's been good for them. And they've even seen the power of the age to come. In other words, the actual working of God's power in our lives. So that's where this person is in that passage. And now they fall away. They turn their back on all of that. It says they can't be restored to repentance. It says they are crucifying the Son of God all over again to their own harm. 
They're holding him, which is Jesus, to contempt. Contempt means to see something as worthless and deserving of scorn. So this is a very serious consideration. I think this is giving us that clarity as to what this one sin unto death is, where it says, basically, if you've gotten all of this and you turn away from all of it with contempt and disgust, you're at risk of that sin unto death. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31 is another one that adds to it. If we can go to that verse as well. Follow this as we read. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. You see, the spirit is tied in with that there. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So this adds some more clarity to the danger of what it is to think we can just play with God and living in sin ongoing. I think that's part of that challenge of the sin unto death is where we've moved away from God and we are totally content, deliberately sinning. And there's no sense of guilt or conviction. So if you find yourself where you sin, but you suddenly feel this guilt and conviction, it's probably not a sin unto death because the Spirit of God is still working within you to try to bring you back. These other people who have fallen this way, they have such a callousness that they don't care anymore. They don't care who God is or what the Word of God says. And it says those who go this way only have a fearful expectation of judgment. It calls it the fury of fire. Again, it's referring to hell. Then it illustrates out of the Old Testament, it says the law of Moses, if someone rejected that by the two or three witnesses, they were put to death. So in other words, we understand that what was given and if someone was totally against all of this and they're making a big deal amongst the people, judgment would come upon them. So he said, but how much worse should the punishment be? Catch this. If we're trampling underfoot the Son of God and have profaned the blood of the covenant, the precious work of the cross, if we're going to put that down, as so much of our world does today, they are in serious danger of cutting themselves off from all eternity. But notice here, it says, God will repay. Vengeance is his. So he will take care of these things. But it says the Lord will judge his people. So this is not just, oh, the the world is big and bad out there, and so they're going to get it. There's a vengeance and a judgment that can come here. And that that verse says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's not just for the world. That should be something that always catches our heart and our mind with a sense of respect and honor to God. There may be a person who doesn't believe in Jesus and they may deny Jesus. We can still pray for them because there's a difference. You see, the other ones that we read about is that someone knew the truth, someone believed the truth and then threw it away. If a person has never believed it in the first place and they reject Jesus, they still can find salvation and their sins forgiven. So if we're saved, th- th- this whole thing of, of, uh, of who we are 
is different. We we read in 1 John 1 and verse 6, it says, we can't say we have fellowship with God and then walk in darkness. If a person can continue to walk in darkness and put underneath them and deny the person of the cross, the person of Jesus and the cross, they're in bad shape. 1 John 2, 5 says, we won't love the things of the world which are passing away. And may you keep that in perspective. We are so blessed in North America and there are so many things we can enjoy but they're temporal. So much of it even just rusts right out and, and, and just falls apart while we have it for just a few years. But it's, it's temporal on the bigger scale. What he's saying is our eyes and cannot be caught up on the temporal things. Our eyes have to be on the, the prize of that which is eternal. Our, our eyes and our heart have to be focused on that which is forever. So we have this huge caution, which I, be, I believe sort of brings it together. The caution is this. We need to Uh, not get caught up in a sinful life where we deny Jesus Christ, where we blaspheme the message of the Holy Spirit, where we deny and mock Jesus and all that God has provided, and we reject the work of the cross. I believe these are the things that are the identifying factors of the sin unto death. So what it really points at, though, when we look at this, and sort of a little bit more topical at this point, is that being born again should make an evident life difference. That's my fourth point. Being born again should make an evident life difference. In verse 18, it says, if we're born of God, we do not keep on sinning. Our lifestyle cannot be okay with that. Now, we know, of course, that there's some who have left and turned their back. And in uh, 1 John 2 and 19, it gives us some information. It says, well, some of those that left probably were not of us to begin with at the start. But there still has to be some of these other identifying factors that that caution us. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we we follow. James chapter 2, 17 to 26 says, Faith without works is dead. There has to be something that changes in our lives that's different from the world that's around us. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Father. And some will say, well, but I, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works in your name? Those sound pretty powerful kinds of Christian godly things. This one challenges me. He says, the response is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, we can do a lot of things on the right, on the outside, But God's saying there's got to be something clean on the inside and a passion on the inside. (coughs) Romans 6 and 1 and 2 says, we don't do more sin so that grace can abound. But Matthew 25, 14 to 30 is the parable of the talents. And the servants were given opportunity, five talents, two talents, and one talent, if you remember the account. They were supposed to go and use it for God's kingdom purpose. And with it, one of them that had only one, didn't do anything with it. What's interesting, Jesus' view of that, he calls him a wicked and slothful servant, and he says, you knew, you knew who I was, and you knew how I hold people accountable, and yet you did nothing with it. He says, we'll cast that worthless servants into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This thing of following and obeying is not just a, well, if it works out fine, if not, okay. We need to be serious about 
who God is and serious about this thing called sin and serious with where we go. Matthew 12, verses 30 to 32 says, if we're not with God, we're against him. If we're not engaged with gathering, we're actually part of the scattering. Think of it, that if we're not witnessing and teaching and living out our faith, and then you, if you are one of those people that's just sort of nominally a Christian, and you're just sort of going through life, you, you call yourself that, but nothing else really shows it. And then someone else comes along and looks at your life and says, oh, I'm a Christian, and, you, and they say, by what? It doesn't encourage them. In fact, they look and they say, well, that's sort of Christian. I'm not even interested. And so you see, your very life can become a scattering factor instead of a gathering factor. We need to be engaged. What difference can we each point at our life that's being made where we love him and we obey him? You see, the fifth point is if we're born of God, we do not try to be more like the world. This thing of sin, we hate it. It costs us too much. There's so much to be lost when we would allow sin to just hang around, or like it says, living in it day after day. To live in that, it grieves the Holy Spirit. That's like disappointing God. Any of you ever want to disappoint God if you're a child of God? Psalm, here's one, Psalm 66, 18. It talks about that if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This one talks about the very thing that if we will hang on to sin and say, I'm not, I don't care, I'm just going to hang on to it, it cuts off our ability to pray and to, for him to listen and to talk with him. We live at a time where the people that are around us need us to be people where we need to be praying for them. Our husband, our wife, our children, they're in this world that challenges us and you don't know everything they're facing. Or maybe you do know and you want to support them, you want to pray for them. We can't allow the, the, the word of God to just be left out of our lives and to not follow it and cut off our prayer life for those even that are counting on us to be there to pray for them. Another challenge and warning is the time in which we live. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, it talks about the age of the church. The previous six eras have passed. This, the seventh is upon us. And it's the church of Laodicea, which is a lukewarm church. It's not passionate about God. It's complacent. Uh, Matthew 24, 12, this one always shocks me. It says, and this is in the NIV verse, it says, the love of most, catch it? The love of most will grow cold. People become more lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. That's the danger of our time. There's way too much good stuff. I would say God's always got a remnant of those who are on fire for him in passion. May you be that as a church. Pastor Jer, I'm sure, is preaching and teaching in ways to make sure that Jesus is lifted high, that God is, seen bef is put before in ways that inspire you to, to follow and walk in the ways that the God has given in his, in his word. But the chance is that the time we live in is going to see people who will start to fall away. In fact, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 talks about the later times where people will depart from the faith. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's pretty intense. Are these the people who once upon a time knew the truth and yet they're moving away from it? 
God's putting these things out in front of us because he wants us to be aware that the battle is raging and it's going to be on. And the devil is not going to be content until he can take as many of us away from following Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to draw some lines. We need to know who we are in Jesus Christ, a devoted follower of Jesus and the Bible. And we need to know whose we are and who you are, a child of the Father, a servant of Jesus Christ. The last part of this battle is found in verse 18. The last part of the verse is a simple little statement, but it talks about the evil one does not touch him. There is so much in the spiritual battle that's increasing. The devil and his demons are very real. Um, I serve as a chaplain for the RCMP for about 10 years, and when you get on the streets amongst the people, you see the power of, of the devil uh, in very big engaged actions. Uh, he has not gone away. He sometimes still comes as an angel of light. But I can tell you this. The evil one cannot touch you when you walk close with the Lord. You don't need to fear him. In fact, did you know that when you walk close with the Lord, he fears you? Because greater is he that's in us, alive, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. You don't have to, oh, what's out there? It's gonna get... No, no. The Bible says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I always thought that, oh, the gates of hell, they won't get into it. No, no. It's his gates, the devil's gates. They won't prevail. They're going to get pushed back because we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. So you see, this whole thing of, of pushing back on sin and not being content with it is to move ourselves into a place where we become strong and victorious for Jesus Christ. The last point is this, and this may, well, I hope it, this passage brings us to, and that is those born of God passionately, passionately pursue God because we value all of who God is and all that he's done for us. Our motivation comes from when we really see who he is in the word of God. It's not because a preacher like me or Pastor Jer preaches and suddenly we, we push you to follow the word of God. It's because as you see him more and more through your own devotional time, from studying the word, from reading it, from hearing sermons, and the spirit of God brings you together, you get this passion that builds within the, in each of you. Out of deep and gratitude, we then pursue the things that he wants of us. We heard about it even in our worship. We pursue things like holiness. We pursue righteousness and a desire to be seen blameless. First Peter 1 and 16 says, Be holy as I am holy. Let's go for it. Let's reflect this holiness in Jesus. Um, it says we're supposed to be engaged in, in becoming more like Christ. From year to year, is that how our life changes? Could you go back and say from one year ago that the things that are going on in your life have changed because you're getting more like Christ? You see, sometimes I think even Christian people, because sin is all around us, we, we creep that way a little bit. We like to see how close we can get to the edge of what is wrong instead of saying, no, we're not pursuing how close we can get. We're pursuing God and his holiness and his righteousness. Those are the things that should matter to us. We ask God to fill us with his spirit. We look to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. Is this our passion? Because if his passion is there, then our passion is for his kingdom and his work as well, and it's in our minds. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things, they'll be added to you. You don't need to panic about them. 
But see, our passion and our direction has to be set. With that, we become intentional upon building our lives. And with that comes a sense of assurance that we're in the right place and we do not need to worry about a sin unto death. It's the farthest thing off our radar. And in fact, we will be moving away from the sins that so easily entangle us. And with that, we will know where we stand. So there's hope. There's hope as we review our lives. And if you are passionate for God and the kingdom of God, and you engage daily in just knowing him more and enjoying Jesus as you walk along, you will find yourself stronger. And in place, you'll find yourself in a place of peace and joy because you'll have a greater perspective of all that life has in front of us. So this passage is a warning. There is sin. And there is sin that needs to be dealt with, and we need to pray and, and for one another, for ourselves, that we will confess it and deal with it so that we can have a relationship that is connected with God. And the great news is there is forgiveness for all of that. We need to personally value highly the precious given salvation and wonderful relationship of a total awesome God. We need to hate all sin. Don't say, oh, I don't have the one sin unto death. I haven't got the unpardonable sin. Oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm good now. No, we need to turn our back on sin and push towards our faith in Christ. Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, we can't be in a place where we face him with shame, with a joyful anticipation of seeing him. Because we've been joyfully and passionately pursuing holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness and a deeper love for him with our whole being, we have joined Christ in the kingdom for which he died. Pastor Jer and the other leaders here, they're looking to lead you, not just on a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday experience, but they want to, I'm sure, take this area for Jesus Christ. Because as many people, if they don't hear the gospel from us, from you, they will go to a lost eternity. And you don't want that for anyone. May the passion of who God is and all he's done move us to engage in that work. And of course, with that, if all is solidly in place, you don't have to worry about that sin unto death. You can be sure of your salvation and you can anticipate at Christ's return to hear that well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us. It is filled with so much because you want us to enjoy so much. We thank you for it. For these, your children, your family, they are precious to you. And you desire to enrich their lives with joy and peace and hope and assurance for any of those who are here this morning that have been struggling and were unsure, may you take these truths and may you just lift them up to a new anticipation of today and tomorrow and the rest of their life. Father, help us all to be in that pursuit of holiness. Help us to all look to where we will live out the fruit of the Spirit and that life of Jesus more and more in through us each day. And may we in turn take this to the world that's around us. Those who are at a loss, we don't want them to be lost. Stir our hearts. Give us boldness to step forward with all that you've given to us to take to them the light, the truth, and the way. 
And may we please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.